The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Please be seated in God's house on this day that we have together to worship our Lord and Savior. And you can be taking your Bibles to the second chapter of the book of Acts. So take your time to do that as we all have a copy of God's Word in front of us. Apparently the children among us today are not excited to hear the preaching of God's Word, but... that's all right it's good that they're here and it's good that they find this place to be their soft place to land and it's good that they find people that smile at them and show them Christ's love and God's house that's enough for us to do with those crying babies and I believe that the Holy Spirit will draw them and that they will be recipients of God's kingdom with us if we are simply faithful to shepherd them and guide them the way that God's Word would have us do. But this morning, turning to Acts chapter 2, and once you're there, you can look to verse 40 and following. Where we read, and it says, And with many other words he, being Peter, testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Please join me in prayer. Jesus, as we, as your church, as your bride, as we come together and fellowship and worship and see that your word is preached, God, many of us come here today weary. We are weary of this earth and all the effects of the sin stain that is on it. We're, we're, we are weary of our own sin and our temptation as we strive daily to put to death the deeds of the flesh. There is so much about there is so much about what sin has caused, Lord, that makes a lot of things that we go through just not very fun. And it's for those reasons, Lord, that 
I'm really looking forward to that glorious day. I'm really looking forward to the day when the only news that I hear is good news. Jesus, I'm looking forward to the day when the things that we're going through right now as a world, as a culture, I'm looking forward to the day when the temptations that I battle against, when all of those things are no more. And while we look forward to that day together, Lord, I just I ask that you would just shepherd and guide us until that day comes, Lord. And, and we trust your timing. We entrust that decision to the Father who holds that authority alone as to when Jesus will come back for us and take us home. But until then, Lord, I'm asking you to guide us and shepherd us as the faithful shepherd that you are and that we might, we might be the church that we might be the bride together in such a way that's pleasing to you as your word has instructed us. We love you, Jesus. Help me now as I preach. In Jesus' name. And we all say together, amen. The bristlecone pine tree is a peculiar tree. It is said to be the oldest living type of tree on the earth today. Uh, many botanists agree that there are many bristlecone pine trees alive on the earth today that are somewhere in the ballpark of about 5,000 years old. And to give us any kind of perspective on that, just to help us see it, if the theologians are correct in their interpretation of timelines and whatnot, that would mean that about the time that the floodwaters receded from the earth in Noah's day, that the seed, the pine cone of the bristlecone pine would have been planted and started to grow and, and those very same trees that started growing then are alive now. And something interesting about it, despite its ability to live very old, you would think that it would need a proper environment for this, but rather the bristlecone pine is able to endure all kinds of strange weather and very poor soil conditions. It can grow in rocky and sandy soil. It can be in environments that are very salty. It can have soil that's very alkaline or very acidic. It can thrive in all of those environments. And the reason that it can is because it has an ability that most other trees don't have. The bristlecone pine has an ability such that it, it knows how to shut off other functions of its being so that it protects what's most important for example during a drought other trees will just continue to bloom and to put foliage into the trees and the roots will send water up to the branches but but the bristlecone pine knows how to keep the main thing the main thing it knows how to shut off certain functions so that its survival is maintained throughout these harsh conditions in which it can live you might say that it knows how to keep the main things the main things it knows how to discern what is most vital, and it then controls its actions from there. We've been in the book, beginning of the book of Acts talking about roots, talking about the roots of the church. And I hope that throughout this process thus far that we've been able to see some things that we know are the most vital things. We've been able to discern the things that are the most important things that have been become inextricably clear thus far in the book of Acts. Things like the very certainty of the person of Jesus. 
and his power over death, his ascension, and his promised return, that those things are set, those things are certain. I hope we've seen the vital things like God's sovereignty and that some person named Judas who betrays Jesus does not stop, it does not thwart God in his plan that he can simply replace that man named Judas with a man named Matthias and keep on marching forward with his plan of redemptive history. I hope we've seen the vital things like the Holy Spirit being key and the life of a believer to lead us into all truth and particularly for the purpose of gospel proclamation as we saw that day on Pentecost. And I hope we've also seen this vital thing of just the satisfaction that's in Jesus and just the true joy that's in his name. As we preached last week of David's prophecy there in the book of Psalms when Peter's preaching and he talks about how Jesus was going to be his fulfillment, his peace, his reason that his heart could rejoice, the reason that his lips could have glad things on it is because of this person, this man, this redeemer named Jesus Christ. I hope we've seen those vital things. I'd like to preach a simple message to you this morning titled, Discerning What's Vital. Discerning, being able to know what the main things are, keeping the main things the main things, these things that we've seen thus far in the book of Acts, and particularly, what discerning what's vital causes. When a group of people discern what's vital and they see the main things and they know how to keep the main things the main things and they don't have these peripheral efforts going on, what does that indeed cause? I believe that the reason that the church has traversed rocky soil, if you will, difficult times and strange environments, I believe that the reason it has carried on is because it knows how, like that bristlecone pine tree, to know how to discern what the main things are. It doesn't go on these peripheral agendas, but it knows what the key, most vital, being able to discern what's vital. I believe that is what has carried the church, and I believe that it will be the thing that carries the church in the future as we continue to march on towards the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the question on the table this morning is, how are we doing with that? How are we as individuals in our homes and in our families doing at keeping the main things the main things? Because the level at which each of us in our individual homes are keeping the vital things, able to discern what the most vital things are of Christ and his purposes and the certainty of his resurrection and the certainty that we need the Holy Spirit for life, this life as a believer, the certainty at which we are doing those things will be the level at which we collectively do it as a church of keeping the main things, the main things, being able to discern what's vital. And I'm thankful today that the text that we already read It serves today as a measuring stick for us because we see how the early church, we saw how they were together in one accord. Jesus at this point has ascended. He's told them that the Holy Spirit would come and just like Jesus said he would, the Holy Spirit comes. Peter's preaching the gospel. They're full of the Holy Spirit. All of these things have happened and they were there together in one accord. They were being obedient to Jesus. They were preaching the gospel as the Holy Spirit was drawing them to do. They did all these things. They had, they had discerned what some of the vital things were and then it caused them to do and to be some certain things. So this morning we're going to look at and see what those particular certain things that they were and that they were doing to see how well we are also perhaps discerning what's vital or not discerning what's vital. So verse 40, as we look back to it again, and I hope you see the context here, as we've already mentioned, Peter has preached most of the sermon at this point. He's outlined that this Holy Spirit coming, everybody else heard them speaking in tongues and thought that they were drunk. Peter stands up and says, no, we're not drunk. It's only the morning. What's happened today, this very moment, is what was prophesied in the book of Joel. This man named Jesus is what was prophesied in the book of Psalms by David. 
And he's preaching these certain things. And then it gets to this point in verse 40 where it begins to wind down the end of the sermon. And it gives us something that gives us the thesis of the sermon, if you will, at the very end. Verse 40. And with many other words, he, Peter, testified and exhorted them, saying, and listen close, church, because these are six powerful words, be saved from this perverse generation. The church had discerned what was vital. They had seen the most important things. And it caused Peter to preach in a certain kind of way. Remember Peter now. He was the wishy-washy fisherman that just couldn't get his act together even after he had been following Jesus for a while. But now that he's gotten the main things, he sees what the Holy Spirit has done. He sees how the Holy Spirit was prophesied of, how Jesus' word is worthy to be trusted in all of these areas. And Peter's got his head on straight now. He's been able to discern what the main things were, and it caused him to preach in a particular kind of way. And it's nothing like the previous wishy-washy Peter that we've seen before. He preaches this very clear message of be saved from this perverse generation. He did not preach a, we need to kind of do these kinds of things and look somewhat like the culture. He says, no, the generation is perverse and we need to be saved from it, period. That was the thesis of his sermon. That was what it was wrapped up in, in those six words. So I hope that you've seen clearly already. That when we discern the main things, and this is our first point this morning, when we discern what is vital, it causes a clarity of message. Say those words with me. Ready, set, go. Clarity of message. Peter was inextricably clear in the sermon that he preached, and it was because he had discerned what those most vital things were. He was not wishy-washy. He was not confused. He was very clear. The message that was emanating out of his life previously was all over the place and nobody knew what he was doing, whether he was a fisherman or a follower of Christ. It was all over the place. But now that he has discerned the main things, the most vital things, the the message that was emanating from his life was very, very clear. And as it was for the Apostle Peter, so it is for you and I today, dear friends, and hear what I'm preaching to you. When you and I discern the most vital things, The certainty of Jesus and his return that is promised, everything else that Jesus promised, it happened just like he said it was going to happen. Jesus said he's going to come back, and I believe this morning, church, that it's going to happen just like he said it was going to happen. When we discern those things, God's sovereignty, the Holy Spirit being key to life and being drawn into all truth and for the purpose of the gospel proclamation, finding the satisfaction in Jesus, when we discern those most vital things, A job for us is no longer just a job we go to Monday through Friday and get a paycheck. We understand that we're called, that God has a redemptive plan. He is sovereign. He is sovereign over the person that's flopping whoppers. Do you hear me when I'm preaching to you this morning? He is sovereign over, it's not just a place that you go to get a paycheck. It's a place that God has called you as his child to be a missionary in that particular context. And it's not just a place where you just greedily collect money. It's a place where you get to go and steward all that God gives you in those kinds of ways. And what will happen when somebody really discerns the most main things? A job is, they don't function in a job like everyone else. It will become very clear very quickly that the message that emanates from your life is a very clear message of that you are a child of God, you are redeemed of His blood because you have discerned the most vital things. Parenting, another example. 
a Christian parent, a set of Christian parents who have discerned what is vital, these things of Jesus, the certainty of his power and his sovereignty and the Holy Spirit being absolutely necessary for the life of the believer and all these key vital things, when, they, when the Christian parents have discerned some of those things, it no longer becomes a parenting or for you grandparents just simply a task like everyone else's. We're not playing the same game as everyone else. We don't care about the popularity of our kid and, and what kind of things they're involved in. We care that they understand these things about Christ and his purposes and his plan and his redemption. That is what takes place when you discern what's most vital. We're not playing the same game. There becomes a very, very clear message that parents will emit from their lives when they have discerned what is most vital. And it's very different than what other parents are doing. The message emanating from most every other parent is something very, very different. It's a very different game. It's a very, very different agenda. That's not who we are. That is not who we are called to be. We are called to discern these most vital things and for it to cause this clarity of message. And this thing you can apply to any area of life, sexuality. We do not think and believe the same things that the world does regarding sexuality because we've discerned the most vital things of God's sovereignty and his plan and trusting that his plan is indeed a good one with temptation we do different things with temptation than the rest of the world does because we've discerned what those vital things are and it will emanate from our lives a very clear message if you understand what I'm saying so far say yes now as I said earlier the bristlecone pine in a drought knows to store the water in its roots. When a drought in the summertime is getting ready to kick up wherever this bristlecone pine tree is, it will begin to store water up in its roots. Now other trees that have not discerned what's vital, which in a drought is indeed water, other trees will keep on growing the rest of the way that they always would even if it wasn't a drought. They keep growing the branches. They keep sending the water to the branches and then all the foliage comes out in this beautiful kind of way on all the other trees. And then when the, when the scorching heat comes, it starts to dry up the leaves and it dries out the tree very, very quickly because all the other trees have not discerned what the most vital thing is like the bristlecone pine. And you say, Pastor Ben, what in the world are you preaching to us today about this bristlecone pine? Hear what I'm saying to you. When all the other trees and all of their foliage, they start to grow, all the passerbys walk by and say, boy, what a beautiful tree. It's got all this foliage. And you walk by the bristlecone pine tree and you think to yourself, boy, that tree just looks kind of odd and different. But when you understand what's happening, you understand that the bristlecone pine tree is what knows really going on in this whole drought situation. And here's what I'm preaching to you. Hear me what I'm saying. And I hope you know, church, that I don't ever drop names simply for the sake of dropping names, but I really, I want us to know how to traverse this world right. I want us to know how to rightly divide the word of truth. I want this to be something that is a true and real and authentic thing. This is not just a job for me up here. I feel a spiritual responsibility to guide us in some of these areas, and I want us to see it clearly. Uh, Ed Litton, who is the recently elected president of the Southern Baptist Convention, he is known by both believers and unbelievers for racial reconciliation. It's what he is known for. And it just makes me wonder if maybe just perhaps he has not discerned what the main things are. 
what the most vital things are. Because as the rest of the world walks by, they see this, they see this thing that he has known for, and all the world marvels at how beautiful it is, just like a person walking by and seeing a tree with all those foliage. But it just makes me wonder if, if maybe the message isn't clear. Because here's, and I hope you hear what I'm saying this morning, church, is when I look at the main things, the certainty of Jesus and all that he's done and his promised return and his resurrection that he already accomplished. When I, when I survey all of those things and I also take a look at how that stacks up between my sinfulness and I survey the sins of this wicked man named Ben Sweeterman, I don't need to be reconciled to a race. No race can do anything about my sin. People with black skin can't do anything about my sin. I don't need to be reconciled to them. People with brown skin or white skin or whatever kind of color skin you have, they can't do anything about the sins of Ben Sweeterman. I don't understand this movement to this racial reconciliation. Being reconciled to a race doesn't do me anything. But if I am reconciled through Christ to God, that does everything about the sin of this man. And listen, as I've said before, and I'll say it again, if you are racist, as I've said before, you're not only in sin, but you're stupid too. So, but, but the thing is, is like if that is the case, if you are in sin and you're stupid, the thing you need is not to be reconciled to a race. The thing that you need is to be reconciled to God. And that's the main thing when you discern what the main things are. You don't start growing all these branches and doing all these things that everyone else looks at and thinks looks nice. It's the main things that we're to discern. And it causes this very clear message that we are a people about being reconciled to a God. He's the God that we have offended. That's what we need to be reconciled to. Listen to what it was that David said after he committed his sin with Bathsheba there in Psalm 51. David says of God, he's praying, crying out to God and he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. It was against God that he had sinned. God was the one that he needed to be reconciled with. Listen to the clarity that we have in 2 Corinthians 5, 18-21. It says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Huh, what kind of reconciliation? Verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Do you hear the clarity, clarity of the message this morning? If you do, say yes. We are ambassadors for Christ as through God we're pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I would just like to go on record to say I don't have any need. I feel no need when I survey my sin. I feel no need to be reconciled to any people. I feel the deep, burning need and the great, overwhelming thankfulness that I am reconciled to God, and it's all because of one man named Jesus, no one else. So do we have clarity of message? 
have we come to the same conclusion that Peter came to where he had discerned the main things, the vital things, and it caused him to preach there to be this message that emanated from his life that was so clear. He was a man of God. It was about being saved from this perverse generation by Christ. And my sincere prayer for New Covenant Community Church this week has been simply that as people drive up and down 62 and they see this church, what do they think? The right thing, dear friends and family this morning, the right thing would be for them to be able to drive by this church and not to be able to say that there's a pastor, there's a leader, that that church is known for reconciliation with a race. They ought to drive by and know that we are a Jesus people here, that the deepest need of the soul is to be reconciled to God. I pray that that kind of clarity, because we've discerned what the main things are, that there's that kind of clarity that comes from this church. If you'd like it to, say amen. Look to verse 41, and I'll continue on this morning. Verse 41, it says, Then those who gladly received his word, which would be Peter's word, the word of his preaching, they were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly. Let all God's children say steadfastly. Steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Now remember what it is that we're seeing here this morning, church. We are seeing the results of a church that has rightly discerned what is most vital and what it has caused. So let's simply take an inventory thus far of the results of this proper discernment, discerning the key things of Christ, the things that he has done thus far for the church. Number one, the very clear message that we have obviously just got done talking about. And secondly, we saw there in verse 41 and 42 that we just read, we see this steadfastness in some things. We see some steadfastness in baptism, doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. So the second fill-in-the-blank or point this morning would be that when we discern what's vital, the most important things, it will cause not only a clear message, it will also cause clarity of practice. It will cause a clarity of practice. It will determine the things that we are most interested in doing. Now hear me and hear me clearly, dear friends, this morning. We will do and enjoy other things that some people in the world enjoy, certainly with the exclusion of sin. We will go to baseball games and go four-wheeling and do fun stuff and, and go to fairs and all these things. We will enjoy some of those things, but the thing that believers or at least those who gladly receive the word. They will be most interested in doing these things that are listed in these clear practices that will emanate from a clear understanding, a clear discerning of what is vital. Things like baptism. Listen to me, friends. If you have gladly received the word of God, and you have asked him to forgive you of your sin, and he has washed you of your sin, and you have not been baptized there's something wrong with you. Listen to me. I love you enough to tell you this. What a joy. What a wonderful joy that God would say, here's this practice for my children to do to remind you and to tell the rest of the world that you are my child and that you're redeemed and that the old you is gone and that the new you has come because of my sacrifice and my blood. What an awesome thing that God has given us. Now, I know I'm not trying to get people baptized here just so we can put a feather in the cap of New Covenant Community Church, but I do want you to discern the most vital things. And for it to cause a clear message to come out of your life. 
and for it to cause a clarity of practice of the things that we as God's children are most interested in. Not just baptism, but doctrine. Studying of the Word and understanding what it is that God has for us. Not that I want us all to turn into these stiff-necked, straight-backed, stoic people that don't know how to have any fun. That's not what I'm talking about. But I do want you to see the most important things, like satisfaction in Christ. Like the peace that only Christ can bring. Like the fact that even through trials there can be joy in the midst of pain. And you can be speaking glad things and your heart can be kept safe in this man named Jesus because of all the things that he's done. You, you discern the most vital things and therefore it throws you into this life of understanding doctrine. How we act and don't act as believers. A fellowship and breaking of bread. Those are two things that, man, we have had a lot of that going on in this church. And it ought to continue on and have even more so. But, but, but if you're a believer and you don't fellowship with other believers and you don't share meals with them and break bread, just understand that the Christianity that you're living is different than what we see here. When they understood the most vital things, it caused these very clear, specific things to happen. And I hope that they're happening in your life too as a result of understanding the most key things. Prayer is another one. Man, for all the men, if you were at the prayer yesterday, raise your hand for all of us men. Yeah, man, we had a ton of guys in this room. It was awesome. It was so awesome to see this thing called prayer becoming a key, vital part of ministry in this church. It was powerful. If you're a man, man, you really should have been there. If you're confused about whether you're a man or not, we'll bring you out to the farm and you'll learn it real quick. So I don't need to say anything. We'll just have you go to chores for a little while and you'll have be no, no issues whatsoever. You will clearly understand it after that. So if you're a man, next month, unless guys get together to pray, man, it was powerful. It was awesome. You really missed something yesterday. I'm telling you the truth. And you might say, Pastor Man, okay, I'm not so sure I agree with you. I'm not so sure that following Jesus and understanding some good biblical principles will cause all these things. I'm not so sure I, I think that those things are two things are so closely connected. And I certainly would disagree with you if that would be your viewpoint. And one of the reasons that I would probably disagree with you the most is when I survey all the things that have been come against, that the devil has come against in these practices, believers who have discerned the most vital things and as a result, we'll do and not do certain things. We'll be doing things like prayer and fellowship and breaking of bread and doctrine and all these baptism, all these things. It's interesting to see how the devil comes against those things. A prayer. Many of you remember in 1962 when the Supreme Court ordered that there was going to be no more corporate prayer in schools. Uh, baptism. I had a rather interesting conversation with my brother this week. My brother is a professor at Miami University in Oxford. And I was sharing with him about how in China right now, the condition of the church is such that if you have a church or any kind of gathering, they don't care what you do as long as you worship the state first. You can have a church that worships Jesus, but, but only if you worship the state first. Then you're free to worship Jesus as much as you want if you worship the state first. But if you're a real church and you believe in the Bible and you believe that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, somebody say amen. If you believe those things and you don't worship the state, with the technology that they have in China right now, that you can be a pastor of a gathering like that, and in two hours, no matter where you're at in all of China, they'll have you locked up in a cage in two hours. 
with all of their facial recognition and satellites and everything that they have going on over there. Kind of crazy, kind of scary. And my brother tells me, he's like, yeah, he's like, I didn't know someone really well whose dad grew up in Germany. And in Germany, they do something that's very peculiar. If you, if you decide in Germany that you want to just worship nothing other than state and government, they actually have a baptism, a water baptism that is a sign to show that you don't ascribe to any kind of faith of any kind of God and that the state is your God. So you see how the devil comes against those kinds of things. Even the breaking of bread, fellowship and doctrine, we saw how COVID came against those, how the devil used that when churches were closed and all these things, even when bars and abortion clinics and strip clubs were still open. We see how the devil came against some of those things. So we understand, hopefully it's clear to you thus far, that when you discern the most vital things, it will cause the pattern that God's Word gives us is that it will cause a clear message to emanate from your life, and it will also cause some clarity of practice in the things that we do. You show me someone who is a sold-out believer, who loves Jesus and is thankful for what he has done. I'll show you someone who clearly practices baptism and doctrine and fellowship and breaking of the bread and prayers. But if you show me someone who is a lukewarm believer or someone who is immature in their faith, also you show you someone who's lax in those things. And, and if that's you, that's not a reason to dismay this morning. If that's you and you have been lacking in those things and you say, yeah, you know, Pastor Ben, there really is a difference between my life and the life of those believers that were together and, and they, it caused them to do these things when they had really gotten the main message of what the gospel is and they understood these things about Christ. My life is different than that. There's no reason to dismay this morning because praise God that his word is a light to you today. It's shown you this thing. Whom the Lord loves, he corrects, his word tells us. So that's awesome if you're being corrected this morning because God just perhaps could be lovingly and graciously bringing you back into a proper place of this clarity of practice. Looking back to your Bibles in verse 43 now. As we come into the very last section of chapter 2. Verse 43, then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Brothers and sisters, this morning, when we discern what is vital, it will cause a clear message to emanate from our lives. And it will cause a very clear direction of practice for us. And lastly, it will give us clarity of purpose. Clarity of purpose. To my knowledge, throughout the course of history... From Genesis 1-1 until this moment, as we're reading in Scripture, just after Pentecost and the church is growing and they're all together and they're taking care of each other's needs, to the best of my knowledge, this is the first time ever that a group of people have come together in this kind of way where they willfully and joyfully open up their bank accounts to see that the people in their group are cared for. And that their needs are provided for. They had discerned vital things that caused them to do this. They willfully did this. 
This was a design for the church, and this is why I object to all forms of socialism, because it is, that was for the church. It was for the church and the church alone to experience that kind of caring for one another. It was never, ever in God's word intended to be a governmental type of system. It was for the church, for them willfully and gladly to take care of the family of God in this kind of way that is the model of God's word. If you agree with, disagree with me, you're just wrong. So I love you, but... So let me ask you a convicting question that I've been thinking about all week this week. If your household was cared for, which would be your first responsibility to ensure that those underneath your roof were fed and clothed and roof over their head, and you had an additional car in your household, and there was someone in the church who had a need, would you sell it so that you could have some money to give to them to see that their need was met. The church in China right now is exploding in an awesome way, like perhaps the greatest revival ever of all of the church history. And I think that there are probably two reasons why, one of which being is that they're suffering intense, intense persecution. And usually the level at which the church is persecuted is the level at which things grow. We've seen that throughout all history. But the other reason I think that is probably given some credence as to why it is that they're exploding in this awesome, awesome revival is because they are a very much not an individualistic culture like we are. They think in community. They think in terms of the group. And when you take a people that that is ingrained in their culture and a bunch of them get saved all of a sudden, they're fitting this Acts 2 model perfectly. They're the fulfillment of what Jesus said in John 13, 35 and 37, when he said, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The church in China is fulfilling that. And that is just different than the way we are as a culture in America. And, um, I, you know, I've just been thinking a lot about that this week. Of are, are we willing to go against our even our own American culturalized norm here to do something that's different, to do something that's biblical? And I'm getting ready to do something that I know will be awkward for me and perhaps even awkward for some of you. Um, but I've discerned the most vital things. I believe that Jesus is coming back. And I know that his sacrifice was sufficient to save me and that he has redeemed me. I know that. And because I've discerned some of those things like the Holy Spirit and, and then I have, found, I have found joy in his name. I've got problems. I've probably got maybe even more problems than some of you guys. But, but I have found a joy and a peace that is so far surpassing of all others. And because I have discerned the most vital things and I see Jesus and his bride and he gives us his words to show us how things went for his bride when they discerned those most vital things. It just really convicts me that we have fallen very, very short. And, and me as the leader of a church, and man, is that a humbling task. Um, I want us to not be limited by an Americanized cultural norm. I want us to do what's biblical. I want us to do what's right. And I recognize that God has placed it on me to, to, to lead us in that charge. And um, that's huge. That's a huge thing. Um, Kyle and Julie, man, I love you guys. I love your kids. 
Um, if you guys ever fell on financial hardship and there were like these questions of where you're going to eat your next meal or your next, where your family was going to stay, assuming my family was taken care of and my first responsibility was taken care of, um, my bank accounts are open to you because you're part of this church. Um, Tom and Karen, man, you guys are, you guys are the grandparents I always wanted. My grandparents died young, and, and they were like grandparents to me. Um, for the rest of your earthly days, assuming my Gabriel and Daisy and Abby are taken care of, um, all I have is yours. You all have no needs. I mean, I just, I'll, I'll that's what I want us to be. I, I mean, um, Eldon, your family, I love you guys. I'll, everything I have, assuming my family's taken care of first, which is my first responsibility, but assuming that is done, I mean, you guys... My bank accounts have your name on it, and, and there will never be a time, if, if, if you guys are hungry and not have a roof, it's because I don't have any money left. I mean, that's just, that's how much openness I want to have with all of you guys, and, and that's what's right. And I know that's kind of weird, because most of everybody I just mentioned right there probably has like a whole lot more money than me, and, and I'm younger than they are, and I, I get why that's kind of weird, but, but this is what's right, friends. This was the result of people who had discerned the most vital things. And could it be, guys, could it be that if we came together and did that collectively, could it be that God would work through that in a way that just like Jesus says, that when the world sees you guys loving each other like that, that they'll be convicted of their own sin, that, that it will mean the difference between hell and heaven for them? Because I believe it will. I believe if we model that, I believe if we, to the certainty that we know these vital things and we allow it to impact us in the way that it did for the early church, I believe that we'll have the same results where it was the Lord that added to the church daily. It wasn't an evangelism gimmick that we try to beat people over the head of the Bible once you get them in the doors. It was the Lord that built his church when we simply did what he said to do. Listen, yes, I've been through seminary, but the feeling that I get most is I was just just a kid that grew up on a farm in Germantown, Ohio, who raised horses. And then I became a personal trainer because I didn't know what else I wanted to do other than I liked the Rocky movies and I liked to exercise. So I got a degree in personal training and I became a personal trainer. And then God saved me. Then God called me to ministry. And the only thing that I know how to do is to see what's here and to do this. That's all I know how to do. But I'm convinced and I'm thoroughly convinced that it's enough. And that it's perfectly what we need. And I see in the book of Acts a group of people that had discerned the most vital things. And it caused a clear message to emanate from their life. It caused a clear direction for the practices that they were practicing. Yes, enjoying other things. I'm sure that in that upper room as they were praying, there were also fun conversations and jokes being made. But the things that drove them most were the things that emanated from having discerned the most vital things like calls them for doctrine and prayer and fellowship and all these things and lastly a clear purpose our purpose while we wait while we wait with expectantly waiting for jesus to come our job together is to care for one another for to love one another to be the church together and that's my prayer for us together as a church would you stand with me as we pray and as we come to the music If you're a visitor this morning, you probably thought, like, man, what did I just walk into today? And um, I'm not even sure. <laughs> but we've got God's word, and we just want to follow it.
And we want to do it in reality, not just to the extent that it makes us feel good. I want to lead us in doing it in every area of life and let God have his way as he builds his church. Let's pray. Father, you've been so good. Thank you for your word that has shown us the way. You've already given us the pattern, Lord. All that's left now is to follow and be obedient and to see you do your work for you to guide the church, for you to be the shepherd, for you to be the one that adds to the church, for this to be your bride. So, Father, forgive us for the environments that we have lived in causing us to to balk at the things that you would draw us into of this kind of church those cultural norms that are not biblical forgive us for that that's not an excuse Jesus it's not an excuse for us to just be these individualistic people that care nothing for our brothers and sisters that's not right and your word reveals that to us so father thank you for the correction Thank you that your word is a light to us. It shows us the way, and this morning it has shown us the way. And I'm thankful for it, Lord. I love you for it. This is your church. Guide it. Make us clear in our message. Make us clear with our practices. Make us clear with our purposes. In Jesus' awesome, awesome name that we are only interested in magnifying that name the name of Jesus and all the church says if you don't know Jesus I'm going to be at this here in this building for plenty of time during this time of worship and even after the service if you don't know this Jesus if you don't know this peace that I have found I would love to tell you tell you about him let's worship as we pray and sing together